From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Thomas, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and to our patients. On November the 3rd, Dr. Loretta Ford, the 103-year-old co-founder of the NP role, attended a Veterans Day wreath-laying ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery. Nurse practitioners may primarily know Dr. Ford for her vision and determination in making the NP role what it is today. But what you may not know is that Dr. Ford also served in the military. She did. And at this commemoration, Dr. Ford was personally honored for her outstanding service as a World War II Army Air Corps nurse veteran. Service is a word that so many nurse practitioners use to describe why we do what we do. Service to our patients and to our communities. And so it makes perfect sense that many NPs also enlist in the armed forces to serve our country. Our guests on today's episode of NP Pulse are two NPs who are here to talk about both service to our country and to our country's veterans, Dr. Rita F. Doust and Alicia Gill Rossiter. Together, these trailblazing NPs have pooled their experiences, which range from serving in the military to supporting veterans in a medical or academic capacity, and they wrote a book. Rita and Alicia, thank you for joining us today on NP Pulse to discuss veteran care. Thank you for having us. This is Rita Dowson. I'm excited to be here as well. Well, that's great. We're so glad to have both of you. I mean, first of all, let's let our, our listeners know a little bit about you. Can you tell us about your respective backgrounds and why and how you decided to become NPs? Maybe Rita, you go first. Well, that's an easy one. I was at the University of Rochester and started as an undergraduate nursing student the same time that Dr. Loretta Ford started as the first dean of the School of Nursing. So as we know, Lee Ford is the co-founder of the Nurse Practitioner Row. So being in that environment, how could you not want to be a nurse practitioner? How could you not want to embrace a unification model of education, practice, and research? Wow, that's just amazing. You actually, when you were in school, you were there with Dr. Loretta Ford. That is just an amazing history there. Alicia, what about you? So I actually started my career, my nursing career in the military. Um, I was an army nurse for four years. When I was serving in the military as a military nurse, we had a very a, a broader scope of practice uh, while serving in the military. And when I got off active duty, I was really looking for like the next step in my career. I worked in a civilian hospital for a while and didn't feel that I was able to use my skills and education and training from the military in my civilian uh, position. So I kind of started looking to see what was available to nurses out there for the next step in their career. And that was the nurse practitioner role. So I applied for the nurse practitioner program at the University of South Florida and became a family nurse practitioner and have thoroughly enjoyed a role and practicing since graduating. You know, I've now been a nurse practitioner for about 26 years. I started as a family nurse practitioner. However, the majority of my career has been with pediatric populations. So I am board certified in pediatrics and the rest is history. <laughs> 
the rest is history. Yeah, absolutely. So Alicia, I know you have your personal military experience. And Rita, you have veterans in your family? I do. So uh, my husband is a Vietnam veteran and my son-in-law is ex- uh, has been in the Navy, was a, a naval aviator, as they're called for the pilots. But really what attracted me to the veteran care, I first worked with acute care and then went into primary care. And I worked with the, the uninsured or underinsured. And what really happened, I kept thinking to myself there is I'm caring for these patients. There's, you know, transitory employment, there are pieces going in and out in terms of either substance use or rocky relationships. And here you are trying to manage, co-manage their uh, hypertension, their asthma, other things. And finally, I said to myself, I'm failing miserably. What am I doing? So I said to this one patient, I said, tell me about yourself and your history. What have you done in life? And I found out he was a veteran. As I started having more conversations, I found out how many veterans were on my patient panel that I had no idea were veterans because we don't ask about those and they mean, and they probably didn't offer it. They were not within the VA. They're what I call working, but not having healthcare, even to this day. It's the same practice. So that's where I really found out. And so one of my stories is a this particular patient, now I'm trying to treat him for his asthma for two years. I'm like, boy, I'm not, you know, I'm just not doing it. He was a heroin user. And I did not know wow. because uh, he was medicating his trauma in the past of what occurred and all of those things. So um, that really opened up for me. And the more you look, the more you realize what is there out there, what we have in our own patients that we don't know about. Because as you'll hear Alicia and I say, you don't ask. It all starts with the question, have you ever served? But then I wasn't asking the right thing because if someone wasn't deployed in conflict, they didn't think they served because they were not in combat. But they could still be impacted. Now, you have a book that you've written. In your book, you mentioned right away that less than half of the 20 million U.S. veterans utilize the VA healthcare system. So I want to discuss that. But before that, Alicia, how did you get into veteran care yourself? So my background, I come from a military family. I My grandfather was a World War II Army veteran who actually had a Purple Heart, um, received a Purple Heart for being injured in the Battle of the Bulge. And my great, my great aunt was actually an army nurse um, who also served during World War II. So I come from that background, that military family. My dad uh, started out in the Marines, became a Navy pilot, and my brother and I um, have both served in the Army, and then I also served in the Air Force. And that really has informed my background and interest in the importance of uh, recognizing and understanding what it means to be a veteran and what it means to serve in the military. My grandfather, my aunt, and my dad never talked about their military experience, and not necessarily because they didn't want to, but I don't think we ever asked. So going back to the same point that Rita made, you know, asking the, the right questions, have you ever served? And for our military families, who are also a very important part, is asking them, have they ever had a family member who has served or is currently serving in the military? I actually developed a course um, at the university that I work in. It's an introduction to military and veteran health course. And one of the first things we do is um, have the students interview a veteran. 
And oftentimes the students don't even know that they have a veteran in their family or that they have a veteran who, a friend who's a veteran. One of my students reached out to me and told me that she had interviewed her grandfather and he had never spoken of his experience during World War II until that assignment. And when, and she told me um, that her grandfather had passed away that night and had she not had that assignment and had she not asked that question, have you served? Can you tell me about your service? What were some of your experiences, positive and negative? Um, all of that would have died with that World War II veteran. That was the first time that family had ever heard any of their family members experience in time in the military. Wow, that opens everything up. Rita, you're based in Maryland and Alicia, you are in Florida. How did the two of y'all meet and what prompted you to collaborate on this book that you have? That's an easy one. It was at an American Association Nurse Practitioner Conference. I met Alicia. And so I said, Alicia, why don't you come to academics? And she did. And her career has just skyrocketed all of those wonderful things. But when you work in a state where we have a lot of not only enlisted, but officers, you cannot help but see some of those pieces around you. And so we started doing a, a number of pieces, uh, some of the research that was going on with uh, some of the funding, but in particular was trying to look at education to say, how do we start thinking about how we educate individuals? not only educating others through the course, not only how do we partner with the VA and not, you think, oh, well, they work in the VA, they know veterans. No, they know the care that's delivered in the veterans. They may not know about veteran health. And yeah. then we start seeing how do we start now looking, bringing individuals in, these medics, these corpsmen and other veterans into nursing, engaging in the research. How do we start looking at this? Because as you know, as NPs, it's not just caring for the individuals. It's trying to look at our workforce and it's trying to look at how we improve their care because access doesn't equate with quality or continuity. Absolutely. And Alicia, can you talk about how caring for the veteran population is different from civilian populations and what NPs in particular need to know about veteran care. So I think it's critically important as to know that many of our veterans are seeking care um, in the civilian sector through the Choice Act and the Mission Act that has opened the doors for more veterans to not receive care in the VA, but to allow them to um, access care from civilian providers. And so Rita, what, what makes it different caring for a veteran population as compared to this civilian population? Great question. And I think there it's several folks. So screening was the first step, but then you have to go beyond. So I work in a true primary care practice. We'll know the impact of pesticides, right? But if you thought about the impact of PFORs or forever chemicals or burn pit exposure, and so think about occupational exposure also because of military. With cardiology, in particular with Agent Orange, if you look at some of the cancers, so all of these things you have to know, not just did they serve, what conditions or what health risks are they more likely to do to develop? You don't develop it just at the time of exposure, whether it's a chemical, whether it's the trauma, whether it's an injury, but you actually develop a more latent. Third, what do you do? As NPs, when we refer, especially with full practice, if we're gonna say, oh, you're a veteran, well, will they qualify for service-connected disability? How do you do that? 
So as nurse practitioners, whether you're acute care, specialty care, primary care, and in particular behavioral health, it's not just the screening. How would you treat them? And then how do you refer to service? But as Alicia mentioned, care has moved more into the community. Civilian providers are caring for even veterans who do have care through the VA, whether it's an urgent care, convenient care, whether they're contracted. All of us, you know, need to know about military veteran and family health care because it's not just the service member. We care for the whole family. So we have to do more beyond the diagnose and treat this piece without knowing about how did they get there? Were there any extenuating contributing factors? How does the treatment differ? Are they eligible for service? Just like with social security disability, we have to have a competence about these. We need to dial back and think about making the implicit explicit about veteran care and that it exists in every one of our patient panels, every one of our families, it exists. We're just not seeing that relationship of the military veteran experience in that care that we're giving. Absolutely. So we definitely need to be aware. And also women who have served, you also talk about care for the female veterans. Can you tell us a little bit about this population and why is it so important to discuss the care for female veterans? So there, there are two sides to this. So first of all, in the military, women don't want to be seen as different. They want to be accepted as a service member, not any different, because they fought real hard for their equity and that equality and that recognition. But at the same time, they have unique health care needs that are very different, mm -hmm. whether it's gynecological, whether it's G urinary tract holding, and also a study that Alicia and I conducted on community dwelling uh, women who happen to have the, uh, military service, increased incidence of fibromyalgia, likely due to either PTSD or because of the physical nature of training, of carrying those heavy equipment and the positions or the components of you've left your family behind and now you're somewhere else. It does not have to be a conflict. You could just be deployed and especially reservists who will go and be activated for a year, come back, work, and then be activated again. So I think women in particular, not only for the family responsibilities, not only for reproductive conditions, if you get bacterial vaginosis, how do you get that diagnosed and treated where you are? Do you have access to that care? The number of UTIs, fibromyalgia, and in particular, increased incidence, military sexual trauma that is grossly, grossly underreported. Yeah, we've, we've all heard that. Um, now, you mentioned fibromyalgia. There's a novel therapy called Accelerated Resolution Therapy, or ART, which is currently being used to treat veterans experiencing not just PTSD, but also the fibromyalgia symptomology. What Tell us about ART and all the ways that it's being utilized. So Accelerated Resolution Therapy is used to treat traumatic events in which the retained experience, the images of those pieces, manifest themselves either in physiological or be, uh, psychological symptomology. And so the fibromyalgia is the one that we were talking about. So it is a form of EMDR using lateral eye movement to re-script that memory. 
And in the rescripting of that memory, you now alleviate that stress, that mm -hmm. physiological or psychological response that you are seeing. And the beauty of accelerated resolution therapy is you never have to talk out loud about what it is. In turn, you think about it in your in your mind, you look at it, and then as you're doing it, you rescript and you go back. And that is where then that memory that gets retained in the amygdala and then to the hippocampus, where that now starts to really start to change as we think, because it's really a retained traumatic memory. And Alicia, is this being used for military sexual trauma too? So we are actually utilizing ART with women veterans with military sexual trauma, uh, not only in the civilian sector, but Rita, myself, and several researchers actually trained therapists on utilization of ART up in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And it has now been incorporated within the Department of Defense. We are hoping that it will expand into the VA healthcare system because our results have proven a success with this therapy. It's now on the SAMHSA registry as a trauma-based therapy. That's just amazing. A piece about the accelerated resolution therapy is that if you refer a patient or if you're a behavioral health, a psych mental health NP yourself, is that one of the biggest barriers to treatment is previous failure, you know, whether it's an addiction, any of these pieces. In accelerated resolution therapy, less sessions, and a much, much higher success rate. And so it has been evidence-based, head-to-head, blind, double-blind studies. And now, as many things in military, it moves into the civilian sector for other things, whether gun violence, whether you're seeing somebody uh, killed on the streets. It's also an exceptional adjunct therapy because if you have traumatic brain injury, typically you might also have a PTSD. So they're concurrent. So as nurse practitioners, working not only in primary care, working in specialty care, working in acute care settings, is to be knowledgeable about the multiple treatments and looking at what's the best treatment, not just what have we been doing here. And I, and I agree with Rita. You know, there is no one um, treatment that works best for veterans, but having that as part of your toolkit um, and an adjunct to other treatment plans and other therapies is really beneficial to the veteran and ensuring that they get the care um, and the treatment they, they need. And that's, you know, geared towards the veteran. So very individualized care. So Alicia, Rita, in both of your opinions, what more could we be doing in healthcare to address the needs of the veteran population today and in the future? And Alicia, I'll let you start. So I think the most important thing is to develop your toolkit on caring for veterans and their families, being aware of and a service-associated illnesses and injuries, knowing who your resources are in the community, making sure that you ask that question, have you ever served or do you have a family member who has served, knowing who your resources and referrals are in your community. Because even if you don't understand that lived experience of the veteran, you may be the first person they open up to. So knowing, knowing where to refer them to, who their resources are in your community is vitally important to ensuring the, the health and well-being of that veteran. I think for me, in addition to what I've talked about already, we have to do a whole lot better with behavioral health in the veteran, and especially in the civilian sector. 22 veterans die every day by suicide. 
and they typically have been seen in the civilian and some piece usually anywhere from 24 to 72 hours before a successful suicide. And so I think as I mentor students as not only my practice, someone saying, you know, well, they have binge drinking. So we're going to look, you know, for alcohol use. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. If there's binge drinking, let's now look at PTSD. Let's now think, have you screened them for PTSD? Have you looked at these other pieces and what can we do? So I think we have to be much more proactive about this. We have to think about how do we um, advocate for those patients? It's you who's really looking out for that veteran and their family. And they're the most important person in someone's life is we've got to push the envelope because they put their life on the line for me. Now it's my turn to take care of them. Well said, Rita. Well said. Thank you both for all of your hard work, your dedication and caring for veterans and the work you do to help educate the healthcare system on care of the veterans. Thank you, Sophia, for inviting us to participate because without your invitation, we wouldn't be able to get this message across. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And just, just to add, um, for all of the veterans out there um, who are serving and you know our nurse practitioners who are serving, thank you for your service and thank you for our freedoms. And for us, when we say thank you for your service, it's not just rhetorical response. We do appreciate and we do thank you for your service. Rita and Alicia, thank you so much for your insights and for joining me on NP Pulse. AANP would like to thank all of the veterans who've served and continue to serve our country. We are so proud that as an organization, we're able to advocate on behalf of so many nurse practitioners in the armed forces and on behalf of the NPs who work every day to provide health care to our veterans. AANP would also like to invite nurse practitioners of all expertise levels and students studying to become NPs to attend the 2024 AANP Health Policy Conference in January, the 24th through the 28th in Washington, D.C. Take in educated sessions, hear from guest speakers, and learn to lobby elected representatives at this very immersive and transformational conference. I always have a great time every time I go. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm.